finally, finally, it's going down, you guys. No more silently suffering sip and paint party with your girl, me, Monique, <laughs> yours truly. Come hang with me for a night of socializing, creativity, community, and just having a good old time and a good old blast, okay? Come hang with your girl, October 21st. 2023 for our very first in real life event you don't want to miss it it's going to be right here in the dmv annapolis maryland but you can only use the link that is in the show details to buy your ticket because it is a private event community event only for us you have to use the link in today's show details you will not be able to go to eventbrite and search for the event you have to use the link the seats are very very limited y'all this is our first event i wanted to make it very private very very intimate and so the tickets are limited you guys you don't want to miss this chance and opportunity to meet other friends in the community as well as your fave girl <laughs> me okay at infertility and me no more silent suffering sip and pay party october 21st 2023 at 6 30 p.m be there or be square see you soon Welcome, 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 friends, to Infertility and Me Podcast. I'm your host, Monique. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I'm so sorry if this is your first time and you're listening to this podcast. That means that you are on some kind of family building journey that is proven to be very difficult. And I'm sorry that we're meeting under these circumstances, but I'm so very glad that you've taken the necessary steps to get the help and community that you need on today. So if you're new here, I appreciate you for downloading and also for listening. And if you're not following on Instagram yet, connect with me there as well. Okay. At infertility and me podcast. We also have a YouTube channel infertility and me podcast as well. And you can follow and engage with me there as well and subscribe to the channel as we uh, get into these discussions of family building and all things reproductive health. Thank you friends for being here. I do not take it for granted. Today, we are talking to a friend named Tasha on the West Coast of the United States. She recently wrote a book called Miss Me always and she was awarded authors to watch the book is phenomenal you guys it gives me chills every time i pick it up i am near more than halfway through it i have not finished i'm not gonna lie um life you know just be life and right and so what i have gotten through thus far you guys i was in a literal pool of tears so you would want to tap today's show details Okay, and get her book. It's phenomenal in the way that it was written. Her story is very touching, also very sad, and it is about loss and her and her diagnosis of infertility um, and unexplained infertility. But it is about loss. So I want to give a trigger warning before I introduce you to Tasha. If you've recently suffered loss or in recent years and you're still triggered by hearing other people's stories, 
come back to this episode, move on to another one. Okay. I just want to put that out there, but we're getting ready to get on the line with our girl Tasha this morning. Well, morning for her afternoon for me on the East coast. And so stick around friends. You don't want to miss this episode. And we'll be back in just a second with Tasha. All right, y'all, we're back with our girl, Tasha. Thank you, Tasha, my dear, for getting up a little earlier than usual on a Sunday morning, West Coast time. I appreciate you. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I don't mind at all. I've been looking forward to this very much. So I'm I'm, I'm a little bit fangirling right now. Oh, no, please <laughs> don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to make me blush. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate you, my dear. And... So I want to start with just the icebreaker question like we normally do. How has your mental health been lately? Uh, at the moment, um, actually, this past week, um, I was I was a little bit stressed more than I normally am. I just I, it was all in one day that, you know, I got um, I had done a, a post and some women were reaching out to me and saying really nice things. And you know, then I'm like ugly crying because I'm hearing what they have to say. But then on the exact same day, I got a call from our lawyer about our adoption case. And that sent me into an, an, another emotional spin. So it's it's been rough. It's been a rough week. Yeah, I, I, I totally get the stress, not from the point of view of having been through that process, but I empathize. I empathize. And um, it's so funny because... I was scared to ask this question. It's a question that I've never used before in our icebreaker section of the show. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm going to get in her business like that. But I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? I'm going to get in her business any day. Go away. Yeah. So let me just ask, right? <laughs> and so when we got on the line and I could, I could feel the sense of heaviness in you. And so I just wanted to give you a moment to just get it out. And so I appreciate you for sharing that. And I'm sure... Um, if you're able to and you feel emotionally capable, we could get into your adoption process that you and Jeff are in right now. And so uh, just thank you for sharing that. And I'm holding space for you and sending you all the vibes that whatever is happening right now, um, that you get the support and answers that you all are seeking in your adoption process. I know that is not easy, easy, easy thing to go through and so many unknowns, just like any other part of family building. Mm -hmm. And so I know, but for our friends who have not purchased and or read your book yet, tell us how you and Jeff met. <laughs> we are actually high school sweethearts. We met 27 years ago, or we've been together 27 years, uh, married for 15 um, we both worked in at Sears. I don't think Sears is around anymore, right? Uh, <laughs> so Sears department store. And um, I saw him in our training class. And I thought he was really cute. And then I made the mistake of telling somebody I was working with in my department that I thought he was really cute and it ended up being his best friend. So word quickly got out. And uh, it took him forever to ask me out on a date. But he finally did, and uh, we've been together ever since. Wonderful. I think you guys, well, you probably, I think you're like the second story I've had where it was a high school sweetheart 
a lot of people have talked about um, like your typical bar or meeting your <laughs> friend situation. Yeah. So when I was reading the book and the way you guys met and the mutual friend that you didn't know you guys had was so hilarious and so cute. I love it. Thank you for sharing that part of your story with us. And so about how long was it while you guys were married that you decided to start trying? I know that you spent a lot of time together, just the two of you, you know, settling into life as adults and such. But for our friends, tell us um, how long it was before you guys started trying after marriage. Uh, probably, I, I want to say less than two years. Uh, we got married. I was 28. Uh, yes, Jeff did not propose to me for a long time. Uh, <laughs> 10 years to be exact. Nobody, nobody believed we were engaged by the time it finally happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about two years after we were married, Jeff was the one who actually brought it up and initiated trying to start a family first, which was really surprising. I thought I would probably be the one. Um, and yeah, so about two years, we just kind of learned how to navigate our new life together as a married couple. And then we started trying. Um, and it took about two years until I got pregnant for the first time from yeah. that point. And within those two years, it was not for a lack of trying. <laughs> Yeah, it was hard work. I know it was. And so had you had concerns? Well, I'll just backtrack for a second. Tasha has diabetes. When did you find out that you had diabetes? How old were you? I was in my mid 20s. But that was it was like, uh, you're getting close, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're borderline. And then um, when we got pregnant, the second time was when they were or right before I got pregnant the second time was when it had gotten it finally was like here full blown and I was already on taking insulin so prior to that uh you know it was like a borderline and I was just taking and then I started taking you know pills and then after that it just progressed to insulin gotcha gotcha so for anybody who doesn't know when you have diabetes and you're trying to conceive just diabetes in general, it can cause um, irregularities in your menstrual cycle and it can increase your likelihood of miscarriages. I'm right. Right, Tasha? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys get pregnant. You're excited. It's like this perfect love story thus Mm -hmm. far. And so tell us what happens uh, during the coming weeks leading up to, well, at the point of when you went to your first OB appointment. So we found out we were pregnant. We were very excited. Um, we we did the um, tell everyone, you know, because it's our first pregnancy, and we told everybody. And then I uh, I started to bleed. It was slowly st- spotting, and uh, by the time I went to the doctor, I had had f- a full blown miscarriage, and that was on our first one. Um. I had never gone through anything like that before. For me, it was very foreign. You hear people talk about it. I actually had one of my best friends who went through it. Um, but what, And I saw what she had gone through. But until you've gone through it yourself, you really can't explain it or understand it. Yeah. And I have never experienced it. And I have known 
one or two people who have gone through it in my personal life. One friend had an ectopic pregnancy years ago, right around the same time that you guys did, but she was a few years younger than us. You and I are close in age, so she was a few years younger than us. And that's the the closest, closest I've ever seen anyone go through that type of loss. And on the other side, for someone supporting, you don't know what to say and you don't know how to support. And you don't want to say the wrong thing. And so after your miscarriage starts and you have, what was it like after you told them and they're trying to support you guys? Did you feel supported? How was that for you? We did feel supported. It's funny who you think or expected to feel support from or a certain way. And they didn't react the way that you thought versus somebody who all of a sudden just really opened up and was checking on us, like, you know, calling us or just dropping off food or whatever it was. And it was like, wow, that's so different. Cause I kind of wouldn't expect it from this person, but would have from this person. So that was kind of eye opening for us as well. And just through this whole journey for us, that's actually been how, how it's been. Um, I had a few women open up a few more, you know, friends who said, Oh, you know, this happened to me and I just never talked about it. Uh, so that happened a lot as well. Um, and then as far as just kind of getting through it, I didn't know how. I didn't know how to process it. I laid in bed a lot and found this new guilt. You know, I already it had been already t- been two years and I felt guilty that I hadn't given my husband a child. So then, you know, you get pregnant and it's amazing and it's great. And then I, we lost, we lost a baby. I felt like this new weight on my shoulders as far as like not being able to do this for my husband, for us, for our family. What was wrong with me? Did you ever seek out the help of uh, any type of counselor, coach, or therapist? I didn't at that time. Um, I don't know if I was more scared to do it. I think I have my maybe a fear of what they might say. Or to be honest, probably because they would validate what I'm saying and I don't want to hear or what I'm thinking. And I don't want to have that validation either. So I did it not at that time. Um, later in the later years after um, other losses, I, I did try to do it. Um, and then, you know, what? it gets very expensive. Uh, therapy is not cheap. And I wasn't able to continue. Yeah, it's interesting you said that you didn't want that kind of validation at that time. Can you expound upon that a little bit more, your feelings and your thoughts around it? I think in my head I envisioned it where I'm going to be, I mean, like a movie. You know, you're laying on a couch and you're talking to somebody and you say all these things. And then that doctor or that therapist is going to turn around and say, well, yes, that is expected of you. And so your feelings are valid. And I guess I was worried that, or they would turn around and say, well, have you done this, this, and this? Maybe if we work on this, this, and this, and in my head, I would, I feel like if they would say, well, if we work on this or we try this, it would be again, validation of what I was feeling or what I was thinking. And I didn't want that. I didn't want the, let's work to see what we could do to fix it. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel like I needed to be fixed. 
Yeah. And then it also feels kind of like cookie cutter too, right? Yeah, a little yes. bit like that's, it feels like um, that's something that they say to everyone and it didn't come from a place of curiosity. Absolutely. That yes. makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that's difficult um, in that situation. Wow. And I'm sorry for your loss too, as well. I know it's been quite some time, but it doesn't get any easier. I know. And so um, you're at home and you're dealing with the miscarriage. So did they give you any medication to help the miscarriage along or did you have a, um, in, um, no, an it, office I, procedure? Uh, I, I was, my body was expelling it okay. enough on its own. So I didn't have to do that, thankfully. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Did you guys go right back to trying to conceive after that or did you take some time off? I took some time. I I think mm-hmm. I, just the fear in itself. I I didn't want to try again. Um, and you know, people say like, uh, I think that's just with grief in general um, or loss. Like you know, life goes on and you keep moving. Um, eventually, all of a sudden, it was like, no, I, I I would look at my husband and think, no, I want a child. This man, like, why am I? Mm-hmm not trying. So we went right back on that horse and mm-hmm. and started again. I always say when people aren't consciously trying because they know that it's hard for them, they get to have the fun part like, oh, we did this and now we're pregnant. But then you've got this side where it was like, now you're scheduling time and you're figuring out time and it becomes like, we have to do it now. And now you start taking the fun part out of it. So, um, yeah, for us, I think we did pretty good as far as trying to keep up, um, the fun aspect and not trying to make it so much of a job. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens now after your break, did you go and seek, uh, help from your OB or an RE to get more answers? Yes. We decided we would check. Um, I have a cousin and, um, him and his wife um, did IUI through doctors. So we went to the same doctor and uh, we did uh, that God awful testing where they test, you know, put um, dye into your tubes and air into your tubes and check it out. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die with this pain. And of course my husband's in the other room and he's taking care of business and it's fun for him. So um, we did that (laughs) testing and, Mm -hmm. I actually always joke, our joke now is that I say he cheated on me with Lindsay Lohan that day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I remember we went to lunch afterwards and he goes, that was awful. And I'm like, for who? I said, your, your ending was much different than mine. Let me tell you, we had very, two very different experiences. Um, So we did awful testing and, you know, the doctor said, oh, your, your tubes are great. Everything looks great. And looked at Jeff and said, and your guys were jumping right off the page. So you have something called an explained infertility. And for me, I felt like that was just a way of saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, We don't know what's wrong with you. So we don't know how to fix the problem, but we could try. And that's kind of where we left it. Uh, It was going to cost, you know, several thousands of dollars to do IUI. So we decided to just try to continue to conceive naturally. We yeah. thought, you know, it had happened once before, so let's keep trying this way. Yeah, yeah. And then that goes back to, like, with the radiologist saying that there's nothing that they see should be cause of concern 
before you guys is unexplained infertility. It goes back again to what you were talking about, the lack of validation you felt from specialists again. And I feel like that was a continuing story in you guys' path to getting um, the BFP that you wanted and you wanted to stick. And then after, I won't get into everything else because I don't want to give it away, but you guys continue to try, continue to try. And at this point, years go by, right? Yes, years. Yeah. I was going to ask because it's very, uh, very much a great part of your story and your mom's health. Did she get diagnosed during that time? Yes, actually, right, um, right after my miscarriage, I want to say, within that same year, maybe she got diagnosed. <clears throat> my my father and my stepfather passed away within a month of each other, and um, it it brought it on. Um, you know, they say trauma can bring on those the symptoms or make the change. And my husband and I sort of started noticing things. We asked her you know, what she wanted from In-N-Out and she asked if they had chicken and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's her burger place. She knows Mm -hmm. better. And so she was diagnosed then. Um, She was living with us and that was the beginning. Um, And then years go by, I want to say about almost three to four years, almost four years go by and uh, we got pregnant again, uh, naturally. And uh, everything, you know, everything was going well. And then the doctors just started giving us bad news as we went along. So not only were we navigating our pregnancy again, but now it was, you know, almost four years into my mom having Alzheimer's. What was that like caring for her? You're still working and you're trying to build this family, this extension of you and Jeff. I know there must have been a ton of feelings all at once hitting you on a daily basis, right? Yes. It's a very weird place to be because one, I didn't want, I, in one day I would feel almost um, mad and I would um, resent her for not, for, for, for having this happen to her. Like, like she had a choice. Um, and then the next minute, you know, I would think, but nobody can care for her like I can. I know what TV shows she wants. I know when she wants her food. I know what she's saying because she's not using all her words all the time. So in in the same day, the emotions would go from nobody could take care of her as well as I can, but also why do I have to take care of her? Um, and then, you know, I was pregnant. So here's my mom, who's my best friend. I mean, she, she could light up a room. She was awesome. Like, I mean she'd always make a friend, even if she went to the grocery store. So, um, I wanted my best, you know, my best friend, my mom to be part of the pregnancy and she, now she couldn't be, she didn't understand that I was pregnant. And throughout, throughout the months that went by, I would have to go into the, her room and show her my belly or tell her I was pregnant because she wouldn't remember. So it was like, kind of like sharing the news with her brand new every day and that would be kind of nice, but then someday she wouldn't even understand what I was saying. And I empathize with you greatly to see them almost in like this infantile or childlike state is very difficult. And I'm dealing with that now with my dad. He's 70, 78 and just turned 78 over the summer. I think he's 78. Shit, I didn't forget either. 78 or 77. Maybe I need to have my memory checked too. <laughs> but that is... <laughs> 
I'm telling you, there's so much happening in, in, in life. Life just be life and lately, not in a bad way necessarily, but you know, just going through the motions. But anyway, getting off on a tangent, you guys, I'm going to stay on track today. And so, <laughs> and so I empathize deeply with that. Um, having watched my grandmother be who she was for many years of my life and then transitioning to that. And then also with my dad, my dad is the male version of his mother and he has always been very sharp minded, very intelligent. It is no easy thing to deal with on top of everything else that life throws at us when you're caring for a loved one and still trying to navigate everything else in your life. So I know that wasn't easy at all at that time. And so you guys are pregnant again for a second time, holding on to hope, caring for mom. And at what point was it, I know what I read in the book, but for our friends listening, what point was it when uh, you stopped working to care for her full time? Was it before or after the pregnancy, the second pregnancy? Uh, right before, actually. So um, my mom started to, you know, she she was pretty self-sufficient up until that point at home. Um, and, and then we would come home and, you know, or I would be home with her. My husband was in the backyard and people who are coming to the door to sell things. She thought they were like friends or family. She would let them in. Um, and that started to happen a little bit more. And then, um, we came home and we had, you know, I made, I tried to make things really simple for her. So if she was going to make tea, she had an electric tea kettle instead of using the stove. And we came home one day and the electric tea kettle had been put on the stove and was melted. And then she came running out with her cell phone one day and it was ringing because she didn't know what it was, what it was. And we were literally walking out the door to go to work. And I said, okay, I think it's time. We had been discussing it, you know, like we knew it would be happening. I guess we just didn't know exactly when. But those little things kind of happened all at once. And we decided I was going to stay home. And a month later, I found out I was pregnant. So we always, so at the time we joked, oh, it was work all this time. I was just allergic to working. I should have not been working all this time. We would have been pregnant years ago. Right. We all need to be allergic to work. Okay. At this point, listen. Yes. It's patriarchal <laughs> society we live in, patri uh, patriarchy and all those things Ugh. and capitalism. Oh, my gosh. But yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. We should all be working from home at least or doing something, but yes. Uh, so we were, we joked and, you know, we said, Oh, I'm running pregnant. And, um, so I had already been home with her for a month and sort of got our routine going with her. And then we found out we were pregnant. So, um, kind of interesting how to, how to navigate this new routine that we had just established first. And now I was adding the fact that we were pregnant into it too. It, it was very bittersweet, uh, you know, because in my mind, when we weren't getting pregnant, I kept thinking, I want my mom to be here. I want my mom to meet our baby. And so here I was, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant. We're going to have a baby. She's going to meet the baby. But she wasn't going to know or understand. But for me, I thought memories will be there. Um, pictures will be there. And, and, and our hearts will know that she knows that's her, her grandchild. Um, but... Uh, it didn't work out that way. And so you go on to your first OB appointment to confirm pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us what happened then? So we go to the doctors and we confirm pregnancy. And actually for the first several weeks, uh, everything was really good. And we were really excited. I mean, things were moving along and, you know, I felt extremely 
sick morning sickness, but I didn't care because I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, and then uh, further along into the pregnancy, we got, we went to the doctor and we were, we just had an exam and then she, she sits down and she looks over her paperwork and she says, uh, you've tested positive for trisomy 18. And I didn't know what that was. I had never actually heard of it. And so I said, Oh, okay. What do I do? It's like a bed rest thing. Am I on medicine? She goes, no, it's fatal. The baby won't make it. Do you want to proceed with your pregnancy? Just like that. And I looked at my husband and I'm going, uh, yes, I don't know what you're talking about. So we went home hot mess. I called them a, a few days later and I said, I need you to explain this to me. They had me talk to a genetics counselor and the counselor said, Oh no, you're not, you're, you don't have it. You just tested positive for it because of your age and your health. And I thought that is completely different from what the doctor said. She even asked mm -hmm. me if I wanted to c continue with my pregnancy. So I ended up not having it. Uh, we did further testing and, I didn't have it. So that was kind of the beginning of the end for us because every time we went back, there was something. Um, we did have uh, an anatomy scan and in that scan, you know, they said, oh, heart is good and uh, kidneys and, you know, spine and everything sounded great. And then when we went back again for another scan, you know, weeks later, the doc same doctor called their doctor death and said, that you're not producing amniotic fluid. And I said, okay, so what do we do? She said, well, without enough amniotic fluid, your baby won't survive because it can't develop. And I called her Dr. Death to her face that day because I was incredibly upset with her always giving me such bad news. And um, yeah, we just continued. I, I wanted to see a different doctor. I got a different doctor. Uh, second opinions, and they all confirmed that I was very low on amniotic fluid. One of the things that I, I knew about that was, you know, ultrasounds t work with the amniotic fluid so that you could see the baby, um, the sound waves. And so I kept saying, well, if I don't have amniotic fluid, oh, I'm sorry, because they kept saying he doesn't have kidneys. That was the next thing. So and I thought, well, he has no kidneys, but he did like a month or two ago um, during that scan. And then the doctor literally opened the chart and looked at it and was like, well, yes, I do see that here. I'm like, well, okay, so they don't just disappear. So I kept saying, well, maybe you can't see his kidneys because I'm low on amniotic fluid and you're not seeing a correct picture. And um, yeah, months and months of this just kept continued to go by. Um, however, he was growing and he was the right size. He was the right weight. Everything was normal, except for they kept saying we can't see his kidneys. And you were like, what, uh, five months, if I remember, yes. closer to six months when they began to say that he started measuring a head, like he was a little bigger for his, yes. um, than his gestational age, indicating that he was a healthy weight, right? Yes. Right. Yes. And we kept saying that or we just kept saying, Oh, I don't understand. You know, you're saying this, but then you're saying this. And uh, the one doctor said, well, he's growing and he's um, thriving because of your placenta. But once he doesn't have that placenta, he won't make it. Um, and I just kept saying, well, 
I'm not, I'm not going to play God and you're not going to play God because let me tell you, it's not our choice. He is thriving and he's healthy. I mean, he, when, you know, he was kicking like crazy and his heart, every time they put the fetal monitor on him, they would go, Oh my gosh, his, listen to that heartbeat. And you're going, okay, do you hear the words that you're saying? How can you tell me he's not going to make it? So, um, like you said, around five, six months, um, that just continued to happen. And I just said, you know, I, I'm not going to make any decisions and I'm going to let let this happen. I'm going to let him thrive and keep going and we're going to figure it out. And that's what we did. You guys, Tasha is uh, a force to be reckoned with. Okay. So if you ever come across Tasha <laughs> and there is a problem, I'm just putting <laughs> you down. Okay. Brace yourselves because she is not going to let you get away with it. And so I say all that because I just loved the way you advocated for yourself and regardless of what your diagnosis was and the baby Brody's diagnosis, it didn't matter. And you stood your ground and you demanded answers. And I think that it is very difficult for us at any point in society, regardless if it was now or 50 years ago, especially being women, doctors have always held this high regard and been put on a pedestal where like you don't question them, right? Right. Or right. you don't and now we have the information age so we can get online and go to reputable sources to research for ourselves. And I just I had to give you your daps and your claps for advocating continuously being well researched and rehearsed on the conditions they were saying baby Brody had or that you tested positive for and all that and how your diabetes would affect your pregnancy and such. And so you were getting help for that at some point too with um, your pregnancy while you were pregnant with him and making sure yes. that all your insulin levels and such were um, were at normal ranges, right? Yes. I actually went immediately, I immediately went on the insulin pump so I could monitor it and um, watch my levels. And it, I mean, it was, it was really wonderful to actually, even just for myself, to see the numbers change and see how well that was working out. And now all these years later, I'm still on the insulin pump. <laughs> so it's something I've just stayed with. Um, but a hundred percent, uh, what you said, you know, you, you believe in, you listen to the doctors, you think they know what they're talking about. You're, you put your trust in them. But after a minute, I thought this isn't right. And, um, I, did have moments <laughs> with my doctors and questioning them. And um, the one doctor, the one hospital that I was in, I didn't feel like I was getting enough, the right care. And I said, well, goodbye. I'm going to go to another hospital and made things happen. I was on the phone and calling people and they weren't very happy about that, but that's fine. In uh, my friend circle, they call me savage. So I'll take it. I'll take that title. As long as I know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting up the fight. I will say I didn't think I was then. And I, I have my moments now where I still feel like I didn't mm -hmm. fight hard enough. Mm -hmm. I think I will just mm -hmm. always carry that. Um, but if I think about it and, you know, I think back to the time and I did, I did do what I needed to do or I said what I needed to do. I did not stop fighting. And one thing in relation to your fighting that I found very uh, disheartening, and I just 
it felt I felt so bad and it was because you stated that with the type of insurance you guys had the at the time it didn't allow you to see the kind of specialists that you wanted to right right and so can you expound a little bit more about your your at-home research you and Jeff and trying to get answers for baby Brody and how you could save him in um essentially and there was a I forget the correct term, you know, where they check your amniotic fluid and such. How tell us a little bit more about that research you did. So, you know, with the insurance that we have, first of all, you have to get um referral after referral. And these other these doctors that were helping us were so adamant. They were kind of arrogant in that, in that regards, you know, like, well, this is, this is, this is what's happening. We already know. I mean, I had the one doctor go, I already told you what's going to happen. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to see another doctor. I want to see somebody who's going to specialize. And they just weren't helpful. They weren't making it happen. Um, you know, and, or, or, well, we put in the referral and then it was like weeks would go by and you'd go, so what's happening? Well, the insurance, we're waiting on insurance. Um, so I did a lot of research online. I had friends, you know, researching like low amniotic fluid. What does this mean? And how can this be helped? And um, at one point I said, I want to do an amniotic infusion where they would insert the fluid. And I asked the doctor and she said, at that time, she said, yes, we can look into that. But right now, because he's doing well and he is thriving, like, let's just go home and see how nature takes its course in the next few weeks. And then when you come back, we'll, you know, we'll look at it. And I thought, okay, I go back, we do the exam and she says, no, you're still really low on amniotic fluid. And I said, okay, great. Can we do the amniotic infusion? And she said, oh, we can't do that now. You're too far along. It's, it's not, um, it's dangerous for the baby. I thought, what are you talking about? I was just here a few weeks ago you didn't say there was a timeline. Now there's a timeline. Now I'm too far along. Also, you know, I grappled with that whole, well, it's dangerous for the baby, but you're also telling me that he's not going to make it. So shouldn't we just sort of try it, I guess? And I thought like, well, you're saying his percentage of not going to make it was like a hundred percent, but then how dangerous is the amniotic fusion if you were to do it now and give him a chance? They refused to do it. So we didn't do it. Um, that I think, I don't know if it was that day or the next day, um, after that visit, I started having, um, like pains in my back and I thought, Oh, please don't let me have, you know, let these be contractions. So I went to the hospital and I went to labor and delivery instead of like the perinatal unit where the other awful doctors were and labor and delivery. Um, they saw that I was low on amniotic fluid and immediately admitted me. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's finally happening. They're going to take care of us. And the next day that doctor came in and took me off the monitors, took fetal uh, fetal monitor off. And she said, you know, Tasha, we already discussed this. You already know what's going to happen. Nothing you do now is going to change that. And I went off on her. I mean, rightfully so, I guess. And I told her that I would be going to a different hospital. And I asked for them to refer me. And that's when she said, they're going to tell you the same thing. And I screamed at her to get out of my room. And uh, a whole day went by. 
I just sat in the hospital room with my husband. Nobody said anything. I mean, other than them bringing us food when it was time, nobody even checked on us. And I finally called a friend who used to work at this other hospital that I want to get to. And I told her what was happening. And she called people and from the hospital bed in this other hospital, I made arrangements to go to another, another hospital that specialized, um, you know, in children with ailments like that and high risk pregnancies. Um, and I left. And how did you feel leaving? Tell us how that felt for you. Oh, I felt like finally something was going to happen. Something good was going to happen. Um, Oh man, I remember even coming home and we were just like, this is it. This is it. We're going to get the help that we need. We're doing this and Brody's going to be okay. And we got to the hospital and the people there um, were a lot more positive. Oh, we met this one doctor who was fantastic. And he said, you know, even if he's born without kidneys, we'll, we're going to have that plan and we're going to get him a kidney transplant. I mean, just things felt like, okay, we have a plan. Was it doomsday? And um, uh, we found out that the reason I was having such bad uh, pain on my back was uh, I had scoliosis when I was 12, so I have steel rods in my back. And Brody had been pressing on my spine, so obviously it was causing an incredible pain. Um, so I, I dealt with that for you know a couple more months until I really couldn't handle the pain anymore. We went to the doctor. And they said, uh, you know, I think because he's, because of the way he's sitting on your spine, maybe it's just time to, to, um, induce labor. And so they did that. I was 33 weeks at the time. Um, and so I had an incredibly long labor, 36 hours. Um, however, prior to that, doctors came into the room and told us because of the outcome of, your son, we're not going to monitor him during labor. Uh, I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, we feel like it's going to cause too much stress for you. So we're not going to monitor him. You know, we're just going to monitor you. And the entire 36 hours, I, there was no fetal monitor. So I, I had no idea what was happening with our son. That really struck me when I was reading and I was like, I just did not know that that was even possible during labor right. and I always assumed regardless of what they foresaw happening with the baby that they would still monitor because mm -hmm. in monitoring if the baby becomes distressed then and in some ways it also affects moms a lot of times too then the mom will right. start to feel something and I just thought that was so risky and they're protocol for doing things I was just like this is too this is so risky like you're not monitoring the baby you're where you were still being monitored though right yes right so I just felt like that was extremely risky and I didn't really understand that protocol and now that I know that that does exist I'm all, I'm wondering how many other hospitals and facilities are doing the same thing I thought that was just that was just really devastating to me like I don't even know how you guys contained yourself, but I know you wanted to stay safe for Brody and you were always putting him first. And so let's walk through what happens next as your labor continues. My labor just got incredibly bad. I ended up having high blood pressure 
And the doctor came in and said they were going to put me on magnesium. Of course, I'm like, sure, do whatever you want. And then he says, well, it's really awful. You're going to hate it. We have to put pack you on ice and you're going to be throwing up and you're going to be extremely hot. And I thought, I don't want that. You have to have it. So they did that. And so for, you know, a good, I don't know, probably 20 hours of my labor, I was unable to even lift my head because I'd been throwing up so much. I had two pillowcases packed with ice on either side of my body. Jeff was wiping me down constantly with a wet rag. It was awful, absolutely awful. And he would leave the room every once in a while and run after a nurse and say, can you just tell me if the baby is still alive? And I kid you not, a nurse would walk in with a little Doppler like in her pocket and check almost like she wasn't, she, she did it like she almost wasn't allowed to do it. And she would tell him, yes, they were so convinced that he wasn't going to be born alive. And, um, he proved them wrong. Brody proved them wrong and he was born alive. Um, they rushed, they rushed me finally into emergency C-section where that was awful as well. I was, they had my arms, you know, pinned down, but it, I was still throwing up. And at one point I start choking on my, <clears throat> on it. Jeff's screaming for help. They come rushing in and they put, they eventually put a dental sucker in my mouth to catch it. So it was just absolute torture the whole time. Um, and the Brody was born and Brody was born alive. Um, they brought him to us and we were able to hold him and I was so out of it that I could barely understand what was happening, but I just kept kind of saying, is he okay? Is he okay? And my husband was holding him saying, is he okay? Is he, is he alive? And, um, he, we, he was alive for 30 minutes and he eventually did pass. And I was still on that table when he passed and my husband left the o operating room and kind of just had a moment, fell to his knees in the hallway and, dealt with the fact that his wife was pinned down on a table going through what I was going through and the fact that he had just lost his son. Yeah. And the dream that come along with everything that, baby, that you thought. Right? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's so devastating. I'm so sorry for you guys. It's lost baby Brody passed away on September 22nd, 2016, you guys. And um, how has it been? for you in your healing and your grief over what almost seven years now right yes yes um, he would have been seven um uh i don't know you know i some days i think i do really well and other days i the way i describe it is <laughs> i could spill milk or i hit my elbow or smash my finger in the car door and for whatever reason, that is the moment that I realize everything has gone to crap. And I smashed my finger because I lost my son. You know, it just, I don't know how it equates back to that, but it is just a, a very odd moment that sets me, you know, that just sets me loose. Um, other days, and I feel like other days I'm pretty strong and I'm moving on and I'm able to get through the day. Um, after he was, he passed, I was, you know, obviously still in the hospital and, um, we had some time with him. They left him with us and that was, that was 
a real gift for us because you know I I've heard from other women that they don't always get that. So that was a, a real gift for us that we were able to have that time with him. However, um, I couldn't feel my legs. My legs were extremely numb. I just couldn't move them. I had no ability to move them. Um, if I had to like roll to my side or something, my husband would roll me. I wouldn't do it myself. And I kept telling the hospital, you know, the nurses, I can't feel my legs by t day two. They're like, Oh, it's the epidural it just hasn't worn off yet. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's been like two days, but okay. And then by day three, the nurse came in and said, okay, you got to get up and use the bathroom on your own. So Jeff swings my legs over the side of the bed and he basically drags me to the bathroom and he's holding me and he's holding me up. And then he says, I'm holding on to the sink in the bathroom. And he says, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And he let, he lets go of me and I hit the floor immediately like a bag of what or bag of cement. I mean, hit the floor, hit my head on the sink, fall against the toilet. I had absolutely no ability to stand on my own. He starts screaming like something out of a movie and nurses and doctors come running in there and they pull Jeff off me. And then they, they tell me like, swing your legs around to the front and we'll lift you up. And I said, I can't, I can't feel my legs. And they said, well, it's fine. Just swing your legs to the front and we'll lift you up. And I said, I can't feel my legs. And they said, at all? I said, no. So they lift me up. They carry me to the bed and they start doing testing. And they're like, so you can't feel them at all. And I'm like, I, I've been telling you this for three days. I ended up being in the hospital, you know, more days than expected because now I was doing all sorts of testing and CAT scans and MRIs. I don't even remember speaking to a neurologist and uh, figured out that I had had um, nerve damage from um, my legs being dormant for so long while on the epidural that when it was time to like push and they brought my legs up to my chest, it was causing uh, nerve damage. And I just lost that ability to walk. Wow. Ooh, childbirth is a hell of a ride, you guys. Okay. Y'all yes. already know about my early birth. So I empathize greatly with you, Tasha. Uh, my son was born at 24 uh, in four days. And so I know about the tumultuous nature, the pain and the grief of having the early pregnancy. And it's for your considered uh, for your situation. It's double grief because you guys lost baby Brody. And tell us about that special moment that you had with Brody after he was born and you were able to focus on him. When they set Brody on my chest, it is a, oh, I hope I don't get emotional. Uh, Take your time, love. Take your time. It's a moment I think about all the time because they said I'm on my chest and his little head was wobbling and I looked at him and he looked at me and his eyes were so open and, you know, he was just born. So to be so alert looking at me, I thought maybe I imagined it, but he... He was there and he was looking at me and we locked up, we locked eyes and I saw his little blue, blue gray eyes. And, um, even though it's this amazing moment that we had, because I, for me, it's what makes me remember him being real. Um, it's not just pictures. It's not just the memories of pregnancy. Like we had this intense moment where we, 
I looked into his eyes and I know that he was real. Um, but I also think about, uh, you know, he was on my chest and he's looking at me and I've had such nightmares about it thinking, was he looking at me that way because he was suffering and he was looking at me because he, he wanted help. So it goes both ways. I have these moments where I think this is wonderful. I have this memory of being with my son and as locking eyes. And I just, he was so adorable. His little head full of a lot of hair. And then now that years go by, it's, you know, grief has turned that memory into, well, was it my fault that we, you know, he was on my chest and he should have been whisked away to like the NICU. And they didn't do that. I, it just angered me so much when reading it because I thought that hospitals and their specialists were there to help us, right? Right. And so I know all of those things are going through you and Jeff's mind during labor, after labor especially. And because he was alive and born breathing on his own, he looked like what we would call normal, right? Mm -hmm. And you have this special moment of him looking you right in your face and knowing who you were. And yeah. And, uh, oh, that must be so difficult and so validating all at the same time, because what you just stated about it, like it was real. Like, I feel like a lot of moms and dads who go through loss like yours, the experience doesn't feel real. And the baby didn't feel real because you don't have them with you earthside anymore. And so I thought that was very, um, a pivotal moment and, and, and thought about your about your experience with giving birth to him and, and having those moments with him, not long enough, but yeah. long, longer than many, right? So that must right. have been so difficult. Mm. It's a moment I, I treasure. I think about it all the time, <laughs> every day. Um, I think the part that I think about that moment the most is that I got to look into his eyes. So, because... Uh, you know, after they yeah. took him away, after that, I never got to see him again or alive again. In that way, yeah. 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 And I love that they gave you guys so much time with him and allowed yes. family to visit and to say hello and goodbye all at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Your grief, like you stated earlier, has been moments full of ups and downs and uncertain of how you will continue to live through the pain of not having having him and then also the memory that serves as both a negative emotion and positive emotion again all at the same time and I don't want to move quickly away from Brody but I do want to move along to you guys' yeah. adoption process and how yes. long after your loss of Brody that you guys began to Envision yourselves being parent, a sec, parents a second time, possibly, I should say, possibly with the yeah. adoption process. Yeah. So Brody was born in 2016. And afterwards, you know, I was going through the grief of losing him. Obviously, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. I came home in a wheelchair. I was in a wheelchair for at least a year, um, more than a year, actually. And uh, try to navigate taking care of my mom at that time from a wheelchair now. So the last thing I thought about was having kids 
because I thought, I can't believe this is my life. This is my new life. Um, as my healing started to progress and get better, um, we a friend of ours offered to be our surrogate. So we did a round of IVF, mm-hmm. but all my eggs failed and didn't make it and that didn't work. So then we thought, okay, our only option left was private adoption. And people ask us, you know, why don't you do um, like foster to adopt? And I thought, because I hear so many stories of kids being taken back out of your home and we've already suffered enough loss. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. So we decided to do private adoption. And at the end of 2019 or towards the end of 2019, uh, we were chosen by a birth mother and we were so excited. I guess I should preface this by saying, um, my mom passed away in 2018. And when this birth mother picked us. We, we said, it's my mom. It's my mom and Jeff's grandpa. They wanted us to have a child so badly. They sent this birth mother to us. And I was going to all the doctor's appointments. She was unhoused. So my husband and I were paying for, um, a hotel clothing, cell phone, food. We were paying for her. I went to all the doctor's appointments bonded with her. And when we got to the mm-hmm. hospital, when the baby was born, they stopped us and said that they had given the baby to another family. And we left. We, I mean, we did what we could. We called the, our adoption agency. We called, we asked them to call social workers. We were like, find out what's going on. And our agency did absolutely nothing for us. And we left wow. the hospital that day. No baby again. Uh, wow. About a week later, the sheriff called us and starts asking me questions, you know, do you know where the baby is? Do you know who adopted, who, all this stuff. And I said, I never saw the baby. I don't know where he is. What is this about? And he said, well, we've been informed that uh, her mother, the birth mother's mom is currently here right now, pressing charges. They want us to find her. She sold that baby for $6,000. And I said, okay, sounds about right. Because I was with her for many months at doctor's appointments and bonding with her. We texted and we talked all the time. So something happened at the last minute for her to give that baby away. Yeah. I I believe that somebody gave her $6,000. Sure. And that was, that happened right before the pandemic. And so that was it. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. That is something like that you, you only see or you think you would only see in movies. Right. Like I always say, like, I feel like I'm living a lifetime movie. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Wow. I'm so sorry that you guys had to go through that on top of everything else that you were dealing with, the grief of Brody and your mom. Wow. Yeah. And your stepdad and your dad. (laughs) Like, yeah. Wow. 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 Did you, okay, so you're forced now to grieve at home. Mm-hmm. Like there's no other way because the pandemic is happening. The world is losing its effing mind. Yes. We're stuck in the house and all those things. Was there ever a moment where you were kind of grateful that you didn't have to be out and about oh my and gosh. around people yes. during the pandemic and grieving like this? Yes, Absolutely. You know, Jeff got and I got to stay home together and sort of work through it together. But there are so many moments while we were home during the pandemic that I thought, had we brought the baby home, 
Jeff would have been forced to stay home and bond with the baby, <laughs> you know, like not have to take the time off of work on purpose, but because he was told to do so. So there were so many moments that I was home going, yeah, we could have been home with our baby right now. And all the what ifs. What if, yeah. Right? And I don't even know where he is. Um, so, but it was also helpful for us. I mean, Jeff and I have obviously been through a lot and we have really just persevered. We have grown stronger as a couple. And, you know, I always say like, I didn't think I could love him more, but through everything we've gone through, I do. I have fallen more in love with him. I mean, I kind of joke, we have jokes and I say, I love you so much. It's illegal. So, um, during that time of the pandemic was a really significant time for us to be together. Okay. We're actually in a lawsuit with the adoption agency that we were using because, you know, we just felt like they didn't take care of us. I mean, they didn't, they didn't call social workers. They didn't jump. They didn't, nobody was at the hospital to see and fight for us and see what was going on. They just allowed it to happen. And, you know, private adoption isn't, cheap either just like every aspect yeah. of trying to have a family ivf and uh, right. oh you guys have spent money on that yes like yes so uh you know we just didn't felt like we were taken care of um so we've been in the process with that however every time they prolong it and they push it we have to pay more mm -hmm. money so yeah it's been it's been rough it's rough yeah what do you hope that everyone walks away with from your story listening to this episode, reading your book, what do you hope that it would do for someone else who may be in similar situations and experiences that you and Jeff have gone through? For me, I, I think, well, first of all, I don't, I wanted people to hear our story because I, I know how lonely of a place that can be, you know, when I, every time we were going through something, uh, and I would lay in bed in the darkness, I would feel extremely alone. Um, but I would also look to my husband and see, see the light. Mm -hmm. And I would remember that, you know, he was the first person that I chose. Like he was my first, he is my family and we chose each other. And so I didn't want to lose sight of that. And I think that really helped us in the process. And so I feel like I want people to take away from that from our story as well, you know, whatever process they're in, whatever their journey is to trust in their journey and to really look to your partner and not lose that love. So I've, I've sort of said along the way, like let love guide you. Right. Um, because nobody's going to understand what you're going through more as much as your spouse will, because that your spouse is going through pretty much what you're going through. Um, and not to lose that hope, you know, we have gone through every avenue to try to have a family, but we didn't stop trying to have a family. And, um, I don't regret that, you know, um, trust in your journey and not lose that hope. Um, but also my, probably my biggest personal thing, uh, for women would be to advocate for yourself because holy cow, um, there was a, there was a lot of that going on. I know we kind of, kind of touched, brushed up on the magnesium part. Um, after Brody was already gone, 
the doctor, a doctor came in and I kid you not, I called him Doogie Hauser. So if you know who that is, then we could be friends. I remember when you said it in the book. Yeah. yeah. You were like, yeah. this guy looks like he is just off his mama's tail. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah. He came, <laughs> he came in and I thought, when was recess? Did you just come off oh, recess God. to come talk to me? Absolutely not. Literally. And so he's trying to tell me I need to go back on magnesium again because my blood pressure just wouldn't go down. And for whatever reason, like the night before, in the middle of the night, this nurse who wasn't mine had come in and she's checking my vitals. And then I tell her about my blood pressure and she says, well, you know what? Maybe tomorrow the doctor will take you off of, you know, um, uh, Motrin, like ibuprofen. They'll put you on something else because that tends to raise your blood pressure. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, when Dookie Hauser came in and he said, we got to put you on magnesium, <laughs> I said, well, why don't you change my pain medication first and see if that works? And he was adamant. He did not want to do it. And I fought him tooth and nail. He even pulled Jeff out of the room to try to convince Jeff to not have me do this. And Jeff was like, oh, she, she, she on her own. Like, she's her own woman. Like, you're going to listen to her. <laughs> and like Jeff was he like, comes, I don't know what to tell you, bro, because <laughs> yeah. Wait, good luck yeah, with she, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, she's savage. Like, she's going to take – you can listen to her. And yeah. so – he came in and he said, okay, we're going to do it your way first and we'll follow up. And they did it. They took me off. And I don't remember. It was like hours later, like probably later that night. And he walked in and he goes, well, don't know what to say, but glad. I guess I should say, I'm glad you stuck to your guns because mm -hmm. your mm -hmm. blood pressure has gone way down. Had I not advocated for myself and stuck to my to my gut feeling and remembered what that nurse had said, who I say was somewhat of a guardian angel at that point. Cause I never saw her again. Mm -hmm. I would have been living in hell all over again on ice packs, throwing up. Absolutely not. So advocate for yourself. Stay strong. Got to you guys. You have to. Mm -hmm. And I will backtrack and say that I feel your pain girl with that magnesium because I had to be on it too as well. Going oh. through premature birth and it hurts. It burns. It sends like a, a burning sensation through your body. It's no fun. And um, Tasha, 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 girl. Your book had me in a pool of tears. Oh. Just the way you wrote it. I think you have a hidden talent. Did you know that you could write like this? Did you always know this? I've always loved to write, but maybe not mm -hmm. to the extent of an entire book. <laughs> Yeah, this it's, it's it's truly a phenomenal, touching yet sad story, you guys. But I think that you will really, really feel validated, seen and heard by reading Tasha's book after you listen to this episode, if you have not already done so. Because myself being someone who has never suffered this kind of a great loss or any loss for that matter, I've only been pregnant once in my entire life, as you guys already know, my 40 years. So I have never experienced the grief that Tasha and Jeff have, but if you have, I encourage you and implore you to get the book and then maybe buy one for a friend, a community who needs it to, because it is phenomenally written. And I'm glad you answered the call, Tasha, to writing the book. I'm so glad you answered the call. So glad you did, dear. And I know it wasn't easy typing those pages out at all. It it wasn't. I had to relive a lot of uh, painful memories I had tried to heal from. So um, 
it wasn't easy writing it. However, since it's been out and I'm hearing from women how it's affected them, it's definitely helped that process. My husband was like, girl, what the hell? I thought you were just reading the book. I was like, I was. <laughs> damn it. God damn it. Okay. Do you want to read it? No. Y'all, y'all men are too fragile to even read stories like this. Okay. Listen, leave me alone. Okay. I had a moment. I got to prepare for my girl Tasha on Sunday. I want to know as much as I can. It, it brought me to tears. Okay. It brought me to tears. I just had to tell you that. And so Tasha, where can we find you online, my dear, um, to get to know you better, connect for friends who want to send you messages Yes. And, and, and talk to you more um, and share in your grief and, and with their own stories as well. Where can we find you, love? Uh, you're, well, I'm on Instagram under author Van Howe, and that is where I'm receiving most of my messages. Please send me a, a direct message. I, I would love to talk, talk to you, listen to your story as well. Uh, you know, my biggest thing is I just don't want people to feel alone in it. You know, I want them to be seen and heard and I'm here for them. So author Van Howe. And that is in the show details. You guys don't be lazy. Tap show details in the episode. Or if you're on the tube watching, look down in the description. I'll have a link for her Amazon shop where you can purchase that book or you can connect with her on Instagram. Okay. You guys make sure you get that book, get that validation and community that you need beyond this episode and longer. And if you know someone who is suffering from this type of grief, please, please, please direct them to this episode as well as Tasha's book and her Instagram. And Tasha, my dear, it has truly been a pleasure and an honor to host you on the show. And I I just can't say thank you enough for sharing this part of your life. One of the most vulnerable times or a couple of vulnerable times in your life. And um, words are not enough to express my gratitude to you today. Well, thank you for having me. I, like I said, I was super excited. I was fangirling this morning, uh, knowing I was going to talk to you about Miss Me Always. Um, I, you know, I, it's a, been a labor of love, but I, I do hope that other people can connect to it. So um, if you've read Miss Me Always, please let me know. And it's mm-hmm. not always sad, right? We were talking about no. that earlier. <laughs> No, it does have not. some fun, fun moments. Yes, the, I did forget to mention. Well, I mentioned it in, did I mention it in the intro? I may have mentioned it in the intro, but Tasha goes uh, from the start of her uh, relationship with Jeff and her book goes from the present to past of her story. And so there's breaks in between the harder parts of her story where she goes back to her and Jeff love story, which is why I said it's so phenomenally written. I just... It's perfect, you guys, the way it was written. So, yeah, it's it's just phenomenal. Yes, there are really lighthearted moments in between. And Tasha, you said you did that intentionally, right? Yes, yes, because I don't want people to be sad. <laughs> you know, I know this <laughs> subject is sad, but my intention yeah. is not for people to be to be sad. So I did throw some mm-hmm. great love story moments and fun moments in there, too. Yes, absolutely. So... Thank you, Tasha, my dear, again, and thank you, friends, for tuning in to another Infertility and Me podcast. You guys know where to find me, Infertility and Me podcast on Instagram, as well as YouTube, and infertilityandme at outlook.com. If you would like to come onto the show and share your story anonymously and or publicly, peace and blessings. 
Bye. Thank you. Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. You can connect with me and other members in the community on Instagram at Infertility and Me podcast and or watch on YouTube at Infertility and Me podcast. You can also email me at infertilityandme at outlook.com for a chance to record and help in the stigmas surrounding infertility so that we can reach more friends who may be silently suffering. Until next time.